Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Amen. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So good to have you with us. It's the beginning of a brand new year. 2021 and hopefully with that new number comes a fresh and favorable outlook on life and I know that kind of perspective doesn't just happen it takes grit and perseverance truth is it's not easy to put away all of the adversity and the pain from last year many many people they suffer tremendous loss. Still others are working through and fighting through great disappointment. I understand that. But what I want to remind you of as we begin this morning are the words that Jesus gave to his disciples just a few hours before he went to the cross. On that occasion, uh, recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And the reason that we're going to have trouble in this world is because our world today is very dark. There's evil and sin all around us. And as such, the world is filled with heartache and suffering and pain. In fact, sometimes it's downright unfair. But Jesus didn't just deliver bad news to us. He didn't say, in this world, you're going to have trouble and walk away. He didn't put a period there. He said, in this world, you're going to experience trouble, comma, take heart and be of good cheer. What? I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. I want you to be of good cheer. I want you to exercise faith and ability to rejoice in God because I have overcome the world. And when he made that declaration, when he said that to us, he wasn't kidding. He was telling the truth. And he went to the cross. And he hung there for hours. He died a miserable death. And he breathed his last breath. He declared his finished and he died. And they peeled his dead body off the cross. They laid him in a tomb. They sealed the tomb with a big stone. He was buried. But then guess what? Three days later, he was raised to life again. And we sang all about that during our morning worship time. Now, following his death on Good Friday, and just before Resurrection Sunday rolled around, I wonder what it must have been like for his disciples. The scripture tells us after they died, after Jesus died, they all went into hiding. And not just the the 11 uh, chosen disciples of Jesus, a number quite possibly close to 120 of them. 120 sold-out believers. People who laid it all out on the line for Jesus, walked away from businesses and successful careers, followed after their Lord and their Savior, who they thought was the promised Messiah. And now they just watched him die. And so they all gathered together in one place to lick their wounds 
and to share in what they probably would describe as humiliating defeat. That's what they just saw. Humiliating defeat. And on that occasion, on Saturday, do you have any idea what their conversation would have sounded like as they're desperately trying to pass the time and make it through the day? I speculate they would, say, they would be saying something like this. Can you believe the religious leaders pulled this off? Can you believe what they just did? I mean, the trial of Jesus was a total farce. They rigged the whole thing. They conspired together. It was planned, and it was deliberate. And there were definitely some court proceeding irregularities. They lied about the truth. They bribed the officials. They intimidated the witnesses. I mean, it was clear to everyone they cheated. During the wee hours of the morning, they manipulated the system under the cover of night. And it's not fair. It's just not right. And check it out. Everything I just said was all true. It happened that way. But guess what? God had something up his sleeve. He did. Nothing any of those disciples could have dreamed or even imagined. Because the very next day on Easter Sunday, this world saw something that was brand new. It was the beginning of a new day. And on that day, God revealed to us resurrection, life, and power for the very first time. We had no idea, no clue what it would look like. And with his resurrection, do you know what Jesus did? Exactly what he told his disciples he was going to do. Overcome death, hell, and the grave. That's what he said. He kept his promise. And he carried on his own shoulders all of the sin all of the sickness, the suffering, and the sorrow that we face in this world and everything that this world throws at us. Colossians 2.15 puts it this way. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, and now we're talking about all of Satan's minions, all spiritual authority, having demoralized each and every one of them, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, be of good cheer. I'm going to say it again. Be of good cheer. He overcame the world. Jesus. Jesus. And currently, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, clothed in all majesty, reigning supreme over all the earth. How many of you see him that way? That's why this month, as we begin a brand new year, my greatest desire is to point you to him, to point you to Jesus, and to encourage you to fully fix and focus your attention on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. This month, what we're trying to do, and we're going to continue on as long as the Lord leads us, we are trying to feature the Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy of all of our praise. He alone is worthy. He alone is excellent. 
And as I mentioned to you a number of weeks ago, we get a very clear and comprehensive picture of Jesus in the four Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, two weeks ago in lesson number one, we talked about the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew, Jesus is presented as the king. Matthew spends a lot of time talking about the kingdom of heaven. And from the moment he was born until the hour he died, I mentioned this, from the cradle to the cross, Matthew convinces us that Jesus is the king of kings. Now today, in lesson number three, I want to take a look at Jesus through the eyes of Luke, or Luke's gospel. Unlike Matthew, Luke was not a hand-picked disciple of Jesus. And there's no indication in the Bible that Luke even met Jesus. Luke was a medical doctor. And as such, he paid close attention to detail. He carefully investigated the life and the ministry of Jesus. And in the opening verses of his gospel, he says, because I have meticulously researched the life of Jesus, because I have conducted uh, countless interviews with disciples and eyewitnesses, I believe that I have perfect understanding of everything that has happened. And I'm going to convey it to you, and I want you to believe and know that you can accept as truth everything that I write. And again, tradition tells us that he was a medical doctor by profession, but not just any old doctor. Paul the Apostle refers to him as the beloved physician. And he was labeled a beloved or admired physician because he had great love for humanity. Not only did Luke treat his patients with professional care, but he had compassion for them. He literally felt their physical affliction. Luke identified with their pain. And he did everything in his own human power to bring comfort to them physically and to relieve their emotional grief. Sound like anybody we know? It should, because that's the way Jesus lived his life. That's the picture that we get of Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Time and time again, we're told that when Jesus encountered the multitudes and the great crowds of people that were in need, he was moved with what? Compassion. He literally identified with their pain and their heartache and their struggles, and he felt them as if they were his own pain. This is how Luke paints the portrait of Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, we get an idea of the human side. We get a, a painting of the human side of Jesus, a bird's eye view of his humanity. And again, in Luke, he records six additional Miracles that are are not listed in any of the other three Gospels. You won't find them in Matthew, Mark, or John. Six additional miracles, including the healing of the ten lepers, the healing of the woman who was crippled and twisted all around and bent over for 18 years of her life, and the man who had the, uh, the... disease that they called dropsy, a dreaded disease where the body parts all swelled up. And typically, in these situations, the religious leaders didn't care much about the people. 
They represent a disfigured and deformed people of God who are walking around in excruciating pain with no relief. And the scribes and the Pharisees had very little time for them. In fact, on two of these occasions that I just mentioned, they got mad at Jesus because he healed them on the Sabbath day. But Jesus moved with kindness and compassion, reached out to these hurting people, the people that everyone else had forsaken, everyone else had forgotten about them. But he didn't forget about them. He knew them, he identified with them, and he healed them. I want you to see Jesus that way. I want you to know him as a personal savior. Yes, he's the son of God. And we're going to talk about that next Sunday. John gives us the picture of Jesus in all of his divinity. But in addition to being the son of God, he was also the son of man. And as a human being, Jesus walked in our shoes. And check this out. He knows what it's like to be you. When you think no one understands, nobody cares, nobody can identify with what I'm going through, Luke tells us that Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Hebrews 4.15 confirms it as well. It says this high priest of ours, Jesus, he understands our weaknesses or our infirmities. For he faced all of the same testings that we face. How many? All of them. He encountered in his life all of the same things that we encounter in this life. Jesus understands hard work. He knows what it's like to get a blister on his hand. I'm sure there were times when he smashed his thumb with a hammer. Jesus knows what it's like for the bills to stack up. Because after Joseph died, he was forced into a financial situation where he had to pay the bills for his mom who had become a single parent. Jesus knows disappointment and rejection, betrayal and grief. He experienced physical pain and emotional sorrow. He was alone. He was afraid and at times overwhelmed. And on at least one occasion, the scripture tells us that he cried out to God and said, where are you? And why have you forsaken me? You see, sometimes when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord of all, and rightly so because he is, he deserves that kind of acknowledgement and recognition. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. However, when we consider his glory and his majesty, sometimes we lose sight of his humanity. And Luke makes sure that doesn't happen. Luke repeatedly reminds us he's one of us. And he knows exactly what we go through. All right, I want to take a look at a passage of scripture found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, you can follow along on the screen. 
As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped, and he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, and what did he do? He followed Jesus, praising God, and when all the people saw it, they also praised God. All right, great miracle here. And when you add up all the miracles of Jesus, recorded in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, you come up with a number close to 38, And the reason I say close to 38 and don't give you an exact number is because all the Bible scholars and commentaries, they don't all agree. But in any event, it's close to 38. Could be 37, could be 40, somewhere right in that number. And out of all those miracles, all 38 that Jesus performed, those that are listed in the Gospels, this is the one and only time that Jesus asked the recipient of a miracle, what do you want? What can I do for you? That's exactly what he said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 41 when they finally brought the blind man to Jesus because he was crying out and they couldn't shut him up. Jesus said to him, he said to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? Now you would think it'd be obvious, right? Just like when Jesus encountered someone who had leprosy or someone who had paralysis or like the man with the withered hand. He didn't have to ask any questions. He knew what to do. He would either lay his hands on them or he would speak a word of healing over them and immediately they were healed. But in this situation, Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? And it is extremely interesting to me how this blind man responds. Because he didn't say to Jesus, can you remove my blindness? Can you take away all this darkness that's been around me? He didn't focus in on the blindness. Do you remember what he said? I want to see. I want to see. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up and my back was killing me. I mean, excruciating pain. The worst. I couldn't even stand up. So I crawled around on the floor for a little while, tried to loosen my back up. I did some stretches. When I finally was able to stand, I looked in the mirror and I saw that I was crooked. I was actually standing crooked. Worst thing in the world is a crooked pastor. (laughs) So I called Dr. Craig, my chiropractor, Made an appointment to see him that morning. And when I got to his office, he said to me, what's going on? He said, Doc, I'm in pain. I'm in excruciating pain. I need you to get me out of pain. Do whatever you have to do. Uh, You know, take me from room to room. Use all of the machinery that you have here. Lay on me. I don't care. Get me out of this discomfort that I'm in. 
You see, oftentimes when we have an issue and we're struggling with something, what becomes the focus? The pain. It's just human nature to fixate on the pain. I mean, even when you go to the hospital, what do they do? They ask you to rate your pain, one to ten. Well, it's like a nine. You know the whole Brian Regan routine. We just desperately want to be delivered from the pain that we're in. We want to get out of pain. Now, when I read this gospel account and this healing of the blind man, I have to think there was a considerable amount of pain associated with this man's life. I mean, imagine what it's like to not be able to see. I mean, that's a very important sense to have. It would be very difficult to have all of that darkness, I mean, to, to, to not be able to see anything. A lot of pain there, if you ask me. But he doesn't talk about the pain. He doesn't mention the pain. The blind man didn't say to Jesus, can you get me out of this prison cell of darkness I've been in all my life? Can you take away my blindness? He said, I want to have sight. I want to see. Jesus, what you can do for me is you can give me the ability to see. Check this out. This blind man's desire to have clear vision was greater than the alleviation of pain. I'm going to say that again because that's a lot of power in that statement. Yeah, I wrote that. (laughs) His desire to have clear vision was greater than the alleviation of pain. Now, I'm not a proponent of pain. If you know me, I loathe pain. I totally hate any kind of discomfort. I'm not about that at all. But here in January, the beginning of 2021, coming out of everything that we went through in 2020, waiting upon the Lord in prayer and seeking God for what the future holds, my greatest desire is to see. Like the blind man, I need vision more than anything else, and it supersedes the pain I'm in right now. I need to have clear spiritual vision, insight, discernment, the ability to know what God is doing, and having the faith to believe that this is a new day for us. I want to see God in all of his glory and all of his majesty, especially in his humanity, not just his divinity, not just what he can do for me, but what God is asking me to do. It was Paul the Apostle who cried out. What did he say? I want to know him. Not just the power of his resurrection, but what? The fellowship of his suffering. It's not an easy prayer. But friends, I want that vision. I want that kind of insight. We have to have it. We have to know in the spirit realm what's going on. And this human side of Jesus, the side that Luke is trying to convey to us, It is brilliantly predicted in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And oftentimes you'll hear me quote a few verses from Isaiah 53 during the communion service. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. And by his wounds we're healed. This morning I want to quote one verse from that chapter, Isaiah 53, 1. I typically don't make reference to it on Communion Sunday. Here's what it says, Isaiah 53, 1. 
Who has believed our message? Or who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I want you to understand, this is not just one question. Isaiah is asking two very important questions here. Question number one, who's going to believe our report? Who's going to believe the message? And what is the message? The message is that a Savior is coming to planet Earth, and that Savior is going to save us from our sins. And this Savior, or this Messiah, he's going to have a human side to him. Going to be 100% God, yes, 100% man. And he's going to be one of us. He's going to be able to identify with everything that we go through. That was the message. And the first question was, who's going to believe it? Second question, to whom is the arm of the Lord or the strength of the Lord going to be revealed? Who's going to be able to get it? And here in this context, the arm of the Lord is Jesus. And the answer is, who's going to get it? Who's going to have Jesus extended to them? Everyone who chooses to do so. Everyone who has a great desire to receive him, to accept him, to trust him. And to understand his mission and have a deep desire to know him and to see him. And Isaiah said, who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? Who is going to be willing to circumvent all of the pain and the cares of this world and instead of being distracted or defeated by them, use them to help us gain additional sight and vision? Who's going to want to know what his teachings are all about? Who's going to want to interpret his messages and actually apply the word of God to their own lives? And friends, when you look at the mission of Jesus, when you understand his teaching and the central theme of Christianity, it's not all that complicated. In fact, Jesus said you could sum it up with just two commandments. That's it. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment, a lot like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus laid out that mandate, he basically said everything that God could ever require of us or ask us to do will be contained in those two commandments. And for those of you who've been around Community Christian Church for any length of time, then you know they're the first two layers of the top five core values that we have here at our church. The five core values that are built around the term grace. Namely, G, God deserves to be first. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. R, relationships matter. Or love your neighbor as yourself. Then there's A, acts of service. C, compassion for other. And E, everything belongs to God. Again, community Christian churches, core values, what we are all about, what we strive and endeavor to do. However, for the purpose of this message, let's just focus our attention on one, the first one. You know, we like to put one and two together. Let's just look at one. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment. You want to see me? You want to know me? Let's start there. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. How many of you found that somewhat challenging? A little bit of a difficult assignment, if you're going to be honest. 
because we are surrounded by so many different aspirations all competing for our attention. And I would be willing to bet that most Christians do their very best to love God with their whole heart. I believe that we have hearts for God. I believe that under most circumstances and 99% of the time, we want to love God with every ounce of strength that we have. But it says more than just our heart, friend. It doesn't just say love the Lord your God with all your heart. It says mind, soul, strength. That's where we get tripped up sometimes. That's where we fall short. Because a lot of times we have a tendency to overthink the relationship. How many are guilty of that? Overthinking stuff. Don't lie, you're in church. <laughs> Most of us overthink just about everything. And 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. All right, if we're going to have the instruction or the commandment to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have to understand 1 John 4.19 because it says the only way that we're ever going to really learn how to love God or anyone else is to fully accept, acknowledge, and be confident of the love that God has for us. I'm going to say that again, because that was worth you making your way here this morning and watching us on TV. If we are going to be able to love the way that God wants us to love, love him and others, we have to be confident in his love for us. We can't overthink the relationship. We can't come up with excuses or reasons why God doesn't love us. This one is imperative. We have to get it right. There's no way around this one. Regardless of what happens or what comes my way, I am convinced, me personally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love. Now, circumstances and setbacks and the lies of the enemy, they come my way, but they can't change that. Doesn't matter what happens. I can get disappointed. I can become discouraged and at times have a crisis of faith, and that's happened. But the love of God is not up for debate because he has proven himself to be a God who loves his people since the beginning of time. You can search through the scriptures. He has been faithful on this one. He loves us. Not only did he tell us, but he showed us the extent of his love. Matthew chapter 21, pardon me, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. And these are some of the things that go through my mind when the enemy comes to tell me that, you know, God doesn't love me or you know, I don't deserve God's love. Matthew chapter 1, 21, Jesus died to save me from my sins. 1 John 1.9 assures me of God's forgiveness when I fail, when I make mistakes. Hebrews 13.5 says he'll never forsake me or give up on me. Romans 8.1 proclaims as a true believer, God will never condemn me. 2 Corinthians 12.9 declares his grace is sufficient for me. John 3.16 promises eternal everlasting life with the Father when this earthly life is over. Finally, Hebrews 11.6 affirms God to be a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You could go on and on and on finding promises and verses of scripture that tell us and convince us that God loves us and that he's proven his love to us. You put all this together 
And I promise you, there is a huge payoff for entering into a genuine love relationship with God where you don't overthink the relationship, where you don't doubt God's love for you. And on the other side of that love equation, there is great expectation. That's what I'm speaking over you during this prayer time. That's been my secret prayer for the people of God, especially the people of Community Christian Church. That in 2021, you would have a great expectation of this year. That you would expect for it to be a good one. That you would want to exercise a little bit of faith, pray some bold prayers, and believe from the bottom of your heart that this could be the best year of your life. That's what I desire for you. That's what I'm asking for the people of God, is that faith would arise, and that we would be able to kick fear and worry and doubt and every other negative thing to the curve and put our trust in God, to see him as he really is. There is such a high expectation level that comes when you know you're entered into a love relationship with God. And you love him because you know he loves you and you know that he loves you because the Bible tells you he loves you and he's proven his love to you. So I want you to have high hopes. I want your initial reaction to everything to be filled with faith. For you to arise on the inside, something to, to snap inside of you. And instead of being drawn to the negative, go to the positive. Amen. Go to the goodness of God and the greatness of God. Philippians 4, is that 8? I can't even read my own writing. Philippians 4, 4 8 says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I want you to think and fixate and meditate on the good things with high hopes and expectation for this year. Now, Phil and the worship team, they're going to come back in just a moment. They're going to close out our service this morning in song. It's going to be a, a wonderful song, an encouraging song. But just before they do, I want to close out the message portion with one final passage. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy, which is an Old Testament uh, collection of verses. But even though it's in the Old Testament, I still believe it applies to us today. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to read four verses, 15 and 16, 19 and 20. Now listen, do what? Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. What's the Lord going to do? He's going to bless you in the land that you're about to enter and occupy in 2021. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. 
You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. What is the key to your life this year? It's loving God with all of your heart, being confident in his love, fully committing yourself to him, and knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you enter into this relationship with God without overthinking it, you can be a recipient of blessing after blessing, the greatest that God has to offer. I want you to think along those lines today as we close out our service. Father, we thank you for your word, so powerful, so rich, Lord. The apostle says it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank you for your word, Lord. I know by the power of your Holy Spirit, the people of God are receiving your word. And it's our desire, Lord, to know you. It's our desire to see you. Through all of the chaos and all of the trouble, you said we were going to have trouble. Lord, we want to focus our attention on you. I pray that for my brothers and sisters. I pray that for the families of Community Christian Church. I pray that for our nation, Lord, and for our world. Minister, Lord, in these closing moments, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.